Welcome to Through the Bible. I'm Steve Schwetz, holding open the doors of the Bible bus, at least figuratively, as we prepare for our continuing study in the New Testament book of Philippians. Now, today, Dr. McGee has a lot to share with us about the essentials for the Christian life, so let's pray and get started. Heavenly Father, it's been such a joy to study your word. Help us to set aside the cares of the day and then open our hearts to you and make clear to us what you want us to learn here in Philippians. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now let's go to Philippians 3 on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Now we're in the last section of this third chapter where Paul changed his hope for the future. Not only changed his bookkeeping system of the past, and not only changed his purpose for the present, but now he changes his hope for the future. And he is attempting to live for Christ today. But now he has a glorious, wonderful hope for the future, for our conversation, that is, our way of life. We're a colony of heaven down here. And as I used to hear Dr. Herbert Bieber put it, all the way to heaven is heaven. Therefore, the child of God should be experiencing the joy of the Lord, the peace of God, and the love of God. These are things that are present experiences for the child of God. For our citizenship is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the whole tenor of Scripture, of the New Testament, And the hope of the believer is never the great tribulation period. Paul doesn't say here, and he has it here with such a note of joy, and on the high plane of praise to God, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he doesn't say, after you go through the great tribulation period. Now, the great tribulation period is a time of judgment, and the church is delivered from judgment and will not go through it any more than the fact that Enoch did not go through the flood. Now, somebody says, but God can keep you in it. Yes, God kept Noah in the flood in a boat, but he took Enoch out of the world. There'll be two groups of people that'll be his in the great tribulation period. One will be taken out as he says to the church in Philadelphia, and the other are those that will be going through it. There will be a great company of Gentiles and 144,000 of Israel. And if you think that's not Israel in the church, then I'd like to ask you what tribe you belong to, because not only is it called Israel, but also each tribe and how many is in each tribe. And you certainly better find out what tribe you're in if you're planning on going through the Great Tribulation period because they are to be sealed. It's becoming increasingly absurd to me to hold a position that the church is going through the Great Tribulation period. There are those that say there's not a verse in Scripture that says the church will not go through the Great Tribulation. May I say this? Not a verse in Scripture that has anything to say about the church not doing other things, but that the church will do them, I'm sure. I'm confident that we're going to all have a position, a job to do throughout eternity. But he doesn't go into detail on that sort of thing. 
the Scripture is also clear on this, that the church has a glorious, wonderful hope for the future, and that between right now, it's tissue thin between where we are and the rapture of the church, and that does not mean he'll come tomorrow, because Paul had a hope that apparently he felt like even in his lifetime the Lord could come. And I can't find where Paul expected to go through the great tribulation. And he was having a lot of trouble, and he never interpreted that as the great tribulation. Some people seem to think that the great tribulation is probably a hard rainstorm, that it probably is a slight 60-mile-an-hour wind that'll be blowing through the earth. My friend, it's horrible beyond description, so much so that in the book of Revelation it's described in the most vivid terms, and you can't tone it down or tune it down. Now, here is a note of gladness, and these notes of gladness and of expectancy make it very clear that the church is not going through a great tribulation. Our conversation, our citizenship from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, after we go through the great tribulation. Nowhere does it say the church is going through it either, my friend. Now, will you notice, who shall change our vile body? Now, a vile body is a body of corruption, and we are to be changed like unto his own glorious body. It will be a body that will be like the one the Lord Jesus had after his resurrection. Paul speaks of it in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 54. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. And the whole point here, it'll be sudden, and it'll take place at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound. There are those that assume that one of the angels in Revelation, the seventh trumpet, that's the trumpets being blown here. But where did they get the idea that this is the trumpet blown by the seventh angel? when in fact the one blowing the trumpet is not even indicated. And you know why? Because it's not a trumpet in the sense we think of somebody tooting a horn, if that's what you're thinking of. Now, you have that in Revelation because you're dealing with Israel. Israel was moved on the wilderness march by the blowing of trumpets. The two silver trumpets were used to move them on the wilderness march. They're used to trumpets. We're not. We're never called. Somebody says, but it says, The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. Well, that's the trump of God. And somebody's turned it over to Gabriel, and Gabriel's going to blow a horn. What nonsense. Gabriel doesn't even own a horn. And if he does, I don't think he can blow it. He's not blowing the horn. What does it mean that? The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a voice of an archangel. Does an archangel with him? No. His voice is like the voice of an archangel. 
It speaks of the dignity and the majesty of that shout of his. And the trumpet? What about that? Well, that's his voice. Oh, that speaks how penetrating it's going to be and how awe-inspiring it's going to be. Somebody says, can you be sure of that? Oh, yes. Over in Revelation, Revelation 1.10, it says, John says, I heard a voice like the sound of a trumpet. Well, who's got a voice like that? Well, John says, I turned to see. And who do you think it was? The glorified Christ. It's going to be his voice. There's no trumpet connected with the church at all. And here it's the Lord giving the last call. Today he stands at the door and knock, and he's saying, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Open to me. But that's the last one. And the door is open. And out go from this earth a group of people that have been put on the launching pad of faith, and they don't go through any tribulation period. May I say to you, those that have the church going through the great tribulation have, to my judgment, the flimsiest scriptures to use of any theory that is abroad today. And yet, there are many so-called intelligent men. But I find those men spend more time with philosophy and psychology, and history, and subjects like that, rather than the study of the Word of God. And I've dwelt now with this quite a bit, because I think this is very important for us to see. Now, will you notice here, again, who shall change our body of corruption, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able to subdue all things unto himself. And this speaks of the thing that John spoke of also. Beloved, now are we the children of God. It doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear. doesn't appear now, but when he appears, we shall be like him, or we shall see him as he is. And there's no thought in those passages other than that of high hope, expectancy, excitement, and great anticipation. And there's not even a scintilla of suggestion that the church will go through that period that's known as the Great Tribulation period. And he very candidly told the church, I'm going to keep you from that hour which is coming on the whole earth to try them that dwell here upon this earth. And that's a worldwide judgment that's coming, and there's only one that's coming, and that's the Great Tribulation period. How important that is to see. So Paul, he had a hope for the future. And what's your hope for the future? A Great Tribulation period? My friend, that is just about as hopeless as the man today who has no hope, saying, well, got to grit my teeth now because I'm going through a time of judgment. I enjoy flying on the 747s. And I'll tell you why. There's several reasons, but the main reason is this. We were flying to the Wyan Islands. And I noticed that he went way north. And we came in way north. We couldn't even see the big island. And you know why? There was a storm down there. There was a storm front on the southern route, or the direct route going. 
And he went north, and we were about, oh, I suppose 30 minutes late getting in, maybe not quite that much. I appreciated the fact that he went around the storm. I wasn't looking forward to that at all. And that's no blessed hope. It used to be the pilot would say, there is a storm front ahead of us, and we're going to have turbulence for the next 30 minutes. That was no blessed hope to me. But it sure is nice to have him say, we're going to go around and try to miss this front. And the Lord says to the church, we're going to miss it. That's what he said. And you can twist it around to suit your theory. But that's what he says. He made it very clear. All right, now we come to the last chapter in the epistle to the Philippians. We saw in the first chapter the philosophy of Christian living. Chapter 2, the pattern for Christian living. Chapter 3, the prize for Christian living. And now in chapter 4, we have power for Christian living. All of these others would be absolutely meaningless, purposeless, if there was not power. For instance, a philosophy of life is no good unless there's power to carry it out. A pattern is no good unless there is power supplied to have that pattern in our own lives. And a prize is no good if we can't reach it and we can't get to the goal. Therefore, power is all important. So one of the reasons that the Spirit of God did not let Paul in this epistle, as soon as he apparently intended to, was because he wanted to let us know that there is power for Christian living, and that, as he said, I can do all things in Christ who strengtheneth me. Now, we're going to take a good look at this chapter because it's very important. We have here, and these are the mechanics of it, the division that we have made in the first four verses we have the source of power. That's joy, as we shall see. And then we have, second, the secret of power, and that's prayer. And then we have the sanctuary of power, and that's contemplation of Christ. Then we have the satisfaction of power, and that's verses 10 through 23, to the end of the epistle. The satisfaction of power is in Christ, and therefore there is the very powerhouse for Christian living. Now let's look first here at the source of power, and it's joy. Listen to him. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, and long for my joy and crown. You see, they were going to be in the presence of Christ someday, and he expected to receive a crown for soul winning, or winning these people to the Lord. And they were his joy down here. Now he says to them, So stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. And as Paul says elsewhere, And having done all, stand. That's the important thing. That's what he said in Ephesians. Now he says, stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. And that's very important. Stability. The Christian faith will produce stability of life. Now, he says in verse 2, I beseech you, Odious, 
and beseech Syndicate that they be of the same mind in the Lord. Now we are back to this little infection that was in the church. Not much. Actually, it hadn't caused too much trouble, but it's not a good thing in any church for there to be little cliques and one group not working with another group. And he says, I beseech you, Otis and Syndicate, they were not speaking to each other. And he says, I want these two dear ladies to be of the same mind in the Lord. Not one to have a carbon copy of the other, but the same mind in the Lord. And if we are together in the Lord, as we've seen before, we're together. And it may be that we have differences of opinions about different things, but that would not separate those that are in the Lord. Now he says, and I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel. And the church in Philippi was noted by the fact that women occupied a prominent place in the early church. And that, may I say, was unusual in that day. My personal viewpoint is that today the church has not emphasized the role of women in the church. I believe that we never had to put up with women preachers if there could have been the office of deaconess emphasized in the church. And I believe that that's an important office and should be recognized in the church. The more and more I study the Word of God, more and more I'm convinced of that. And here we have the fact, Paul says, those women which labored with me in the gospel with Clement also. Now, there's a believer over in Philippi. We haven't met him. This is the first mention that I know about him. And with other, my fellow laborers, apparently a great company of believers in Philippi, whose names are in the book of life. That was the important thing. Their name was in the book of life. If you're not sure that your name is written in the book of life, we can help. Just visit ttb.org and click on How Can I Know God? Or to receive a couple of those resources by mail, call 1-800-65-BIBLE or write to Box 7100, Pasadena, California, 91109. In Canada, Box 25325, London, Ontario, N6C, 6B1. If you're a regular listener of Through the Bible, please join us in praying for the salvation and spiritual growth of people around the world. We call ourselves the World Prayer Team. You can visit ttb.org forward slash pray for more details. Here are a few final thoughts from Dr. McGee. There is a great message in this study that we have today. We have seen that in the last part of chapter 3, that the church is a colony of heaven. And just like a Roman colony represented Rome in the Roman Empire, thus we are to represent heaven down here today. We are a colony of heaven. We're on the way there. And again, I repeat it, Dr. Bieber said, all the way to heaven is heaven. Now, when we got to chapter 4, we saw that there is certain requirements if we are to have power, and that's what's needed for Christian living. And we saw that there is power for Christian living offered to us 
if we meet the conditions, because we're to reproduce a colony of heaven. Now, the one thing that we got to today, and the first thing, was the source of power. And we saw that the source of power is joy. That is very important to see. And next time we're going to develop that. But I want you to see something that's very important for us today in this connection. What is the first thing that you see when you enter a city? That somehow or another gives you the impression about what kind of place it is. Well, I know it is determined whether you come to a city by car or by train or by plane. What is your first impression? What should be the first impression that someone would get if they came into your church or your Christian group or your Bible class? What is the first thing? What is that first impression? Well, I know first time I went to Chicago was by train, and it was snow on the ground, warehouse and factory after factory and warehouse after warehouse. And I tell you, I was cold before I got off the train. And I never really much changed my opinion of Chicago because in summertime it was as hot as it was cold in the wintertime. And then I remember the first time that I went to London. It was by plane. And we came in over the countryside for mile after mile. And the rolling countryside in spring in England is beautiful. And in summer, the poet said, Oh, to be in England now that summer is coming on. Well, it's beautiful. And that's the impression I had of London Yet I know there's some mighty bad spots in that city. And I came into Paris first time by plane. was night, and there were a lot of lights. But I felt like those lights hid a great deal of the heartbreak of that great city. And the first time I came to Southern California, I came in at San Diego. And I have to confess to you that I'll sound like the Chamber of Commerce but I thought I'd entered a paradise. I thought the millennium had begun. Those are first impressions. Now, I don't hold that about Southern California today. Now, as a colony of heaven, the first impression should be one of joy. And today, the world tries so hard to produce it. Today, the world has all kinds of amusements to try to make you happy, try to give you joy. And they try to give it to you in a bottle. They try to give it to you in entertainment. And the thing is that what's the first impression that you get when you go in a church? Oh, somebody says reverence. Well, that's nice if that's there. But actually, the first impression ought to be of joy. The church is trying very hard today to produce it. In fact, they're doing everything in the world to produce it. And when it's not there, it's so obvious that they are trying to give you something that is an imitation. I have here, one of our listeners sent me quite a few clippings. And frankly, I find I don't even know what's going on today in this world. And there's a minister up in New England, and he dresses like a clown and gets in the pulpit to make the people feel better. He says... Dullness is one of the major sins of the church today, declares this pastor. And I agree with him on that, by the way. 
and he is attempting to make people happy, he says. So he dresses like a clown. Well, I know there are a lot of clowns in the pulpit, just like there are a lot of clowns that are lawyers and engineers and college professors and all that sort of thing. But may I say to you, you may get people to laugh if you dress like a clown, but that's not the joy of the Lord. And then, of all things, someone sent me a clipping that there was a burlesque performer who did a striptease in a church in Texas. Now, I can't believe that a thing like that could happen even in Texas. But that's what this headline in the paper that's been sent to me, and, and the story tells about it, and the pastor approved of it. My friend, church doing everything to try to produce, which only comes by the Holy Spirit. Oh, how we need today the Holy Spirit to bring joy to the hearts of God's people. Until next time, may the Lord richly bless you, my beloved. Jesus came home, to him I home. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed white as Today's study is always available, free to stream or download, thanks to the generous and faithful investments from your fellow Bible bus travelers. Just go to ttb.org or download our app to listen again anytime. As always, we'd love to know what's God teaching you.